start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, I'm gonna smoke. It's him. You can look at the horns when he's dead. I'm, I'm in, you know, in the zone. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh, when they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. going on everybody welcome back to another installment of the white cat outdoors podcast i'm your host nick and with me here is my other co-host tom what's going on tonight buddy hey what's going on everybody i'm sure people are wondering if you've been a loyal listener for you know coming up on three years now this probably sounds a little different um but that's because frank is not with us here uh tom and i packed up and did one last hunting trip before the year ends so we are up at a secret top secret location um, deer hunting and Frank couldn't join us. So it's just me and Tom in studio. Uh, but it's, this is the first time we've ever done a remote deal since probably like episode six or so. So it's been a while since we've been outside of the studio. So we'll, hopefully this goes well. If it sounds a little different than usual, that's why. Um, but I'm going to turn it back over to Tom. Tom, what do we, what do we got going on this week? What have we been doing? So this is day four of the new york holiday hunt you're giving away our secret top secret location well we can tell them it's new york okay but other than that you're gonna have to figure that out on your own so a couple years ago new york implemented they call it the holiday hunt it's an extended inline muzzleloader season that runs from the day after christmas until january 1st so what was it the day after christmas me and nick packed up and headed to this top secret location and we've been hunting every day since we've been doing a little bit more than just hunting though correct yes i the landowner who we we've mentioned him before great guy ed's his name lets us come up here and hunt and we have a predator problem we got fox and coyotes on every trail camera daily so we're up here doing a little predator control I brought probably a dozen foothold traps and made some sets out there for some fox and coyotes. So, Good deal. So I guess we'll go back to um, our first, it was our first day of hunting, correct? For me? Second day. Second day? Well, first day of hunting though, wasn't it? No, because first day we both hunted the morning and... Oh, that's Not right. a whole oh. lot of action. That's then right. We then we set, set traps, traps in the afternoon, and then we went on an evening hunt. Yeah, you're right. So day two, you know, first day was pretty uneventful. We um, were kind of just trying to scout things out, get an idea where the deer were hanging out. Yeah, uh, see what time they were moving, that kind of stuff. Uh, so like Tom said, midday we went out, set some traps, went out for the evening hunt. Evening hunt was more productive than the morning, but still hadn't really brought anything uh, to fruition yet. So next morning, I actually didn't hunt the early morning just because based on trail camera pictures and firsthand experience the day before, nothing is moving early in the morning. You know, that first light's just been absolutely dead across the board. So 
I decided I was going to hang back. You know, I got Hank with me, my dog. Good old, old basset hound. Yeah, he's actually in camp with us today. He's just sleeping on the couch, making sure nothing happens in the living room. Uh, but anyway, so Tom gets back to camp about 9.45, 10 o'clock. And he's like, hey, you want to go check, you know, some traps? I'm like, yeah, sounds like a good idea. So we just get out the door. Tom's carrying his twenty two to, you know, dispatch any potential animals and traps. Um, and I was just along for the ride. But before we, you know, started our, our hike through, um, Tom mentioned, hey, you know, you ought to bring your muzzleloader, you know, just in case. And I was like, yeah, it's not a bad idea. I'll go grab it. So I head back in, grab it, and we start heading out. Um, and we got, you know, back into the back side of the farm, which is like the, you know, just behind like where the structure is and everything we get back into the field and we just start walking down the trail and there's two big uh does out in the field so tom and i both get down you know stop what we're doing and kind of assess the situation and the one that was a lot bigger definitely saw us so we were just hunched down you know trying to let her settle down and i'm just slowly trying to get ready and uh I didn't have like much of a rest. I was just kind of on my, my knee, just, you know, we're just walking through. So I asked Tom, I said, Hey, you know, how far do you think that is? And nothing like Tommy, how far do you think that is? He's like, Oh, it's, it's inside a hundred. I'm like, all right. Okay. That's which for you listeners that don't inline muzzleloader hunt inline muzzleloaders aren't like a rifle. So you sight them in at a hundred yards and then out to 200 yards, you might have six to 10 inches of drop. Yeah. So it does, it, it, they, it does start tapering off fast where, yeah, outside know. of a hundred yards, they really start dropping quick. And if you guys have listened long enough, you probably have heard me talk about how I suck at judging, judging yardage, whatever. Sorry. Happens to the best of us. So anyway, so I, I check, check with Tom. He's like, yeah, it's inside a hundred. I'm like, okay. So I'm getting steady or steady. And I wasn't going to rush the shot by any means. If the deer took off, took off, whatever. Um, and we're watching, and all of a sudden she starts flickering her tail. Tom's thinking she's going to take off. And I had just at that point got all situated and, you know, clicked the safety off. Boom! Squeeze off the trigger on my inline. She face first, down, rolls like twice, and that was that. I was kind of shocked at uh, how perfect that scenario went. I mean, oh, yeah. We weren't. Yeah. We didn't even get to our first trap yet. No, no, it, it was, I mean, absolutely perfect. We didn't, it was right out in an open field. We were able to take care of it super quick. Um, I mean, it was just, there was, it was, it was great actually. Um, marked my, that was my fourth deer of the year, which is awesome. You know, it's by far my best season to date. And really um, sitting here right now, I'm done for the year for hunting. Yeah, um, this is it. For, yeah. And, uh, it's kind of sad to see it come to an end, um, but I think it went out with a bang, literally. And I think I really I have to chalk this up to the best season I've ever had. Uh, when it, I mean, I'm talking from the beginning of this year up until now, I've had by far the best season of my entire life. Two good bucks, two big doe. I mean, I, yeah, turkey early in the spring. I know it's different licenses, but same year. Like it was just a, it was a stellar year. Um, so I, I couldn't be happier to wrap it up with that, and it just worked out just right. Um, I hunted my butt off the rest of the week. You know, Tom and I are sitting in camp on the last day here. Uh, we pack up tomorrow and head home. So we're kind of 
got what we call the uh, Saturday Night Blues at camp tonight. Um, but the season's over for me. I've had a great time uh, and ended it with a really nice dough. And um, we cooked. Uh, I cooked the tenderloins that night and did my uh, famous Nick's tenderloin fritters. If you're interested, tell us about it in the comments, and I'll give you my recipe. Uh, and then I guess that kind of sums up my trip. I mean, I, I seen whew, nearly 20 dough a day. I mean, like it was just absolutely insane amount of overpopulation of does up here. Um, but I mean, I tried to do my part, took a few out or I took one out anyway. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good. So I guess I'll turn it back over to Tommy. Um, got some, uh, trapping and hunting on his side. So my first day of hunting, not real productive. I didn't see any deer in the morning. Uh, like we said, set traps in the afternoon. And then for the evening hunt, um, I saw one doe, just couldn't quite get a shot on her. And day two, same day Nick got his doe. Um, after, you know, we got that taken care of, we carried on our way, finished set or checking traps. Traps were empty. Um, so it was time for an evening hunt. And I'm like, well, this doe that Nick got was out in the field shortly after 10 o'clock I like they got to be living right in this area so I picked a stand location probably what 200 yards down the hedgerow from where you got your doe yeah yeah that's pretty accurate a little bit north but yeah. yeah so there's the field Nick shot his doe there's a hedgerow and then there's another field so I I was in that hedgerow looking out into the other field and Right off the bat, I got on stand, uh, I think about 2 o'clock, and 2.15, first deer comes out. I'm like, all right, this is this is going to be a good night. So at that point, I told myself, I'm like, all right, deer are already moving. I'm going to kind of hold out on a doe for right now, see if there, a buck comes out here closer to dark. So I get some doe to come out into the field, and that, this little half-rack four-point comes out. And a little while after that, a decent two and a half year old eight, he was probably 14 inches wide. Actually, I can't confirm whether or not he was an eight. I don't know if he had brow tines or not. Comes out into the field and I'm watching him and out of the corner of my eye, I catch a tail flick and I look over and there's a really a nice buck standing in the hedgerow. He was eight point, probably that 17, 18 inches wide. Not very heavy, not very tall. His G2s were maybe four or five inches tall. Just a, a young buck. And a very difficult buck to pass up. But when it's this late in the season, I mean, there's there's two days left in the season. If I don't shoot this deer, there's a very good chance he's going to be on the farm next year. So I made the tough decision to let him go in hopes that next year he'll be around and he'll be a lot bigger. So not long after that, it's, it's getting close to dark and this group, of I don't know, 10, 12 doe comes out and I'm like, all right, there's, there's some really nice looking doe in that herd. And I still had a little bit of shooting light left and I'm like, I'm just going to hold off, watch these doe out in the field and see if a buck comes out. If a buck doesn't come out, well, I'm going to smoke one of these dough. Pretty much right at last light. Yeah, right at last light. Yep. 
So I look down at my phone and it's about five minutes till legal shootings over. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take one. So this real nice mature doe steps out of the herd, gives me a nice open, clear shot. She was probably just over a hundred yards, 110 maybe. And I pull up, I was actually using my, I have one of those extendable arm bow hooks and I screwed that into the tree and was using that as a rest. And it, it's not the best, but it helps in a, in a pinch if your stand doesn't have a solid rest. And so I put the crosshairs on her and just squeeze one off. She mule kicks, takes off into the brush. And I'm like, okay, I, I know I hit her. Um, so I climbed down out of the stand, walked to where I seen her run into the brush, find her tracks. There's blood spatter. So I'm like, okay, I, I think I hit her good. I'm just going to go back to camp. My buddy Keith was on his way and he was about 45 minutes out at this point. So I'm like, well, we'll just, we'll wait for Keith. We'll all go track this thing together. So he gets in, we start the track and about a hundred yards in we bump her and she's just standing there. So we're like, all right, back out. So we back out, get back to camp around seven o'clock and we say, you know, 10 o'clock we'll go back out. So gave her another three hours and go back out. And she wasn't what another hundred yards from where we bumped her. I was going to say closer to 50 or 60. I mean, it was within five minutes we were standing over. Yeah. It was quick. So I think we did the right thing backing out. Um, it just we could tell, you know. Obviously, she wasn't doing good. She didn't run away when we bumped her. Like you know, Tom said bump, but really she didn't take off. She just stood there. Yeah. So we knew that obviously she stood up from her bed and just. I'm like, she's not doing good. Yeah. So we just you know turned our lights off, backed out, and you know we obviously it was the right choice to make. You know, it sucks that we had to bump her once, but you know there was snow on the ground, and that was a reason we went back. Um, you know, we've talked many times on the podcast about like, let them lay if you can. Um, but we had a solid blood trail to follow in snow, but it's 55 degrees. We're going to lose it by morning. That snow is going to be gone and that blood is going to be gone. So we all decided, you know, round table discussion that we felt our best opportunity to get this deer would be, you know, give it a few hours and we'll go back. Yeah. So we did that and plan worked like a charm, uh, got her back up to the garage. Um, me and Nick both got our deer skinned and it was at night. It was cool enough where we decided we were going to let them hang overnight. Let the meat stiffen up a little bit. Makes it we... so much easier for quartering out. Oh, everything. T- way easier. So got that all situated, got her hung up, got back to camp. Think we might've had a couple celebratory beers, me and Nick. That's, that's not our first double. No, no, we've done that with, does a couple times and turkeys. turkeys and um turkeys twice yeah yeah twice in one season twice um, in one weekend yeah it's wild um but uh so what do we what do we do with your back straps so this is another recipe we remember when we used to do the smoke, smoke break. break i feel like we could do a double smoke break double smoke break for a double doe kill yeah so let's we talked about the fritters let's start with well, that yeah i haven't yeah i haven't given the recipe um, so I call other, I, I call them famous, but I don't even want them to get famous because people don't need to be knowing this secret here. It's a family recipe. Um, 
But uh, anyway, so I, I call them tenderloin fritters. I don't even know if that's an accurate term. I don't even know what a fritter is. It just I think sound... like an apple fritter is like a donut. Yeah, but like it just sounds – doesn't it sound It good? looks like a fritter. Yeah. So basically what you want to do, you take your tenderloins. You can do this with any cut of meat. Um, but you want something very tender because you want like thin – tender pieces basically and you want to just chunk them up i like to get a couple different sizes some small some big but all no bigger than like an inch and an eighth cube like anything below that like it's very specific i'm a specific kind of guy um and then what i do is i like to make a marinade you know i get them all cubed up put them in a marinade i personally it seems like it's whatever i'm feeling that night Usually started off with some bush light. Yeah, bush light always ends up in the marinade. Usually a bunch of Montreal steak seasoning, wash your sister sauce, and whatever else you're feeling. Sometimes some garlic powder, whatever Onion you want. powder. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, but anyway, I let that sit overnight, if you can. Um, so, which I couldn't do overnight, but I could do for several hours. I did for about eight hours, which is pretty good. Um, so then what you do is you take them out of the bag. And you're going to have a cast iron pan, preferably, with about an eighth inch of olive oil um, in the bottom of your pan. So you want it totally covered, a little bit thick, but you don't want to have it like your piece is fully submerged. Um, get that olive oil or olive oil nice and hot, ready for frying. And what you're going to do is you're going to take those marinated pieces and you're going to toss them in a seasoned cornstarch. That's the key here. You don't want to use flour. You want to use cornstarch and you season the cornstarch. So I like to use something similar to what I used in the marinade so you don't get clashing flavors. So I use Montreal steak seasoning. Works out good. And then what you want to do is you're going to toss in there. Make sure all of the meat is covered with the cornstarch right into the fryer or olive oil, whatever you want to call it. And then you're going to let it cook for a couple minutes till it starts to turn golden brown. Flip it to the other side. Let the same thing out of the oil onto a plate with a paper towel down and then you just serve it with whatever dipping sauce you want and I'm telling you it's probably going to be the best way you've ever had backstrap or tenderloins um, it's absolutely phenomenal I've showed it to several people every single time it's a home run um, so yeah that's that's the uh, Nick's famous tenderloin fritters um, we also did a stew but this was a recipe I got from Tom so I will kick the um, ball the ball back over to Tom's side of the court and he's going to give you the rundown on that so this is a recipe you can either use I, I like to do it with venison you could do it with really any cut of meat but I prefer to do it with what we refer to as the, the football or the roast that front roast off a hind quarter um, or a nice big chunk of back strap and in this case we did use back strap so it's about as simple as it gets it crock pot recipe you put your chunk of meat in the crock pot dump some bush light on her get a jar of pepper ringers the banana mild and dump all the juice and about half the jar of peppers get yourself a ranch seasoning packet two of those sprinkle those in there and then you can dice up some potatoes, carrots, onions. Mushrooms, if that's mushroom. your style. Yeah, however you want to do it. Nick actually put some gnocchi in it. I thought it was a hit. 
Yeah, I wasn't a hundred percent satisfied with it, but it, it was uh, different. And it was it wasn't bad. No, very good. And then it you put the lid on the crock pot. Naki, if you're gonna put Naki in it, don't put the Naki in now. Just so you know. I I didn't know. I never put Naki in it. This was a tip Nick added. Yeah. So I'll let him after this explain when you add the Naki. But so put the lid on the crock pot, set her to slow cook, and forget about it. Yeah, just cook it till the meat is fork tender. Um, you're going to want to throw the gnocchi in like 10 to 15 minutes before you're ready to eat. I mean, like just, just enough to get them hot, softened up. It, they were pretty good. It was kind of like, it almost gave it like there was like clumps of mashed potato in there. It you was know, good. It wasn't It wasn't bad. Um, I if, you guys, a, oh. if you do that, leave it in the comments. Let us know what you think. And I, I do have another recipe for you, but we're going to have to wait till this is just a little sneak preview. I shot a doe with a flintlock muzzleloader in Pennsylvania. Ooh, yeah, we haven't talked about that. We haven't talked about it yet. I'm, I'm hoping we get the chance to, um, but I had another recipe that I did with those doe backstraps. So when we talk about that hunt, I'll throw that recipe in there. Yeah, if you, I mean, this is going to sound like we're being stupid here, but... I am curious um, if people are interested in these recipes each week. Um, so again, leave it in the comments. And I do mean that uh, for and real. And if you are interested in the recipe, message us and we'll actually type it out. Yeah, I can give you a full rundown. But like I'm saying, I was more, if people are interested in hearing different ways to prepare their wild game. Because we we have tons of different recipes, tons of different ways we do things. Um, because Tom and I have heard from people that they get sick of eating wild game. You know, that it gets old. They don't like eating it all the time. They'd rather, you know, do this or that. Tom and I don't feel that way. We've got tons and tons and tons of different recipes. I mean, all sorts of stuff. Uh, our, our buddies um, over at Deers and Beers, they've got a really good recipe for uh, like deer quesadilla wraps or something. Uh, they're phenomenal. They look phenomenal anyway. I haven't been able to try one yet, but. Um, there's just a ton of different ways you can cook wild game. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be dry and gamey. There's so many recipes that will make you feel like you're eating a grade A cut of beef. So. All right. Back to the meat and potatoes. Literally. Well, we're getting off the meat and potatoes, but getting into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, if you, if you follow along. So. That was day two, me and Nick doubled down. Day three, I went out for one final morning hunt before I got on board with Nick and said, these morning hunts aren't the way to do it. It took me one time to decide that I was done on that morning shit. So I hunted mornings three days, never saw a deer in the morning. I said, you know what? Maybe Nick's on to something. <laughs> yeah. So didn't see anything that morning. And... We get back to camp that afternoon. Time to check traps. Nothing in, excuse me, nothing in my first few sets up on the one side of the farm. And we get in the truck, drive around to the other side, and walking down the trail. First set's empty. And I get about 100 yards from the second set, and I see this orange patch of fur. And I'm like, no way. So pull up my binos, 
sure as could be got a nice red fox in one of my sets and I'll, I'll, I'll describe this set for you just because it worked out. So when I set my traps, the ground was rock solid. It was frozen. It was, I think three degrees. Yeah. Very cold. So the, the temperature change that we've experienced in this four days is ridiculous. Yeah. So I knew this temperature change was going to happen. And I've had experience with this sort of thing happening when you're doing a dirt hole. You do your dirt hole set in frozen ground, and then you get a thaw, and your dirt hole fills with water. How many times do you think you can say dirt hole on one podcast? <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> so this is in the back of my mind, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a couple of flat sets. And basically, Is that you don't use a dirt hole then? No, no dirt hole. Basically, what I used was there was a trail intersection, and I found this patch of grass that was significantly taller than all the other grass in the area and coyotes and fox obviously they're canines they're dogs um and they're have a lot of similarities to your house pet dog like they like peeing on fence posts and mailboxes fire hydrants marking their territory so when i saw that tuft of grass that was much higher i'm like that would be a really good spot for a canine to mark its territory. So all I did was I, I kind of fluffed up that tall section of grass. I used my stake driver and pounded just a small hole about as big around as your pinky, maybe four or five inches deep. And I put some red fox gland lure down in that hole and kind of covered it up. And then I spritzed that tall tuft of grass with coyote urine and then about eight inches away from that tuft of grass that's where i put my i bed my trap right off of there so coyote or fox they're going to be walking by they're going to smell that you know hey another dog came through and marked its territory i'm going to check this out and they go sniff around and bam catch them in your trap and it it worked like a charm and the reason it works so good is because there's you don't fill your dirt hole up with water. There is no dirt hole. So there's two more. Yeah. So that was very exciting. Got myself a nice fox. Um, this is we're coming at you. Well, not live, but this is this is New Year's Eve tonight. Yeah. Holy smokes! I say we just keep it rolling till midnight. Yeah, we should. Facebook Live it or whatever it's called. <laughs> Party with I, White Cat. Yeah, I, we. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, we're not going to do that. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> we don't have the technology just yet. But if you do want that, leave it in the comments. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're recording New Year's Eve, and I'm pulling my traps New Year's Day. So actually, when you're listening to this podcast, first thing tomorrow morning. I'll be out there pulling my traps and you're going to have to wait until our next episode to see what's in them. Or follow us on Instagram. Might get a sneak peek. You might. You might. No guarantees, but you might. So, I mean, we've been up here for about a week. We've got two doe down, one fox, and we're not done trapping yet. Yeah, that's 
good way to end it right there on that note. We still got a little bit of time left. Um, it's been, like I said, it's been a hell of a season. Um, we are coming to a sad, sad ending. It's just, you know, you hate to see it go. It's inevitable. Yep. Um, we were talking about that uh, earlier today about how, you know, it, it seems like it takes, you know, forever for the uh, hunting season to get here. And then, you know, it feels like a weekend goes by and it's it's gone, you know. Just comes and goes too quickly. But, but if you're like us, when one deer season ends, the next one starts. Begins would have probably sounded cooler. Either or. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. All right. Well, I guess on that note, uh, Tom and I are going to get back to rotating stock in the beer fridge. Um, good luck to you guys. If you're still out there hunting and whatever you're doing, just make sure you guys are all still getting outside. And happy New Year. Peace. Happy New Year. We love you.